Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So, the story here, this historical account about these two individuals that had placed their trust and their hope in a man named Jesus. He was a great teacher, a prophet, uh, a godly man, and they had put their trust and hope there. And then all of a sudden, a week ago, it's Palm Sunday. He's entering the city, and, and, and they're, they're worshiping him, and Hosanna, and they're calling him out and worshiping him. And a week later, just a few days later, actually, he's been on trial, and he's been beaten and ridiculed and spit upon and now is hanging on a cross, dying. And he dies and they put him in a tomb. And, and these two people that are there that have been following Jesus, you can only imagine their world has just become undone. Everything that they thought was going to happen, everything that they thought was solid ground, all of a sudden now seems to just dissipate underneath their feet. And what happens? They leave on the Sunday morning, the first day of the week, they couldn't travel on Passover, and they're heading back now to their home in Emmaus. Now, here's this picture of hope that has been lost. So before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. I've asked this before. Where have you placed your hope? It's, it's such an important question that I think you really need to think through. Where is your hope? Where is all of your hope that you've placed in this life? What is life about? Where are you going when you die? What is, why are you going to go there if you do go someplace? I, I had an incredible conversation with somebody after the first service, and, and I walked up to this individual. We were talking a little bit, and, and I know this individual, um, and, and they were here visiting again. And, and I said, after a long discussion, I said, so what happens if you die today? Where would you go? And they paused and they said, well, um, and I put my hand on their chest and I said, you don't need to say anymore. You don't know, do you? He doesn't know where his hope is at. He, he doesn't know what, what the scripture has promised and, and he hasn't trusted it. Even if he knows it, he hasn't trusted it, right? So we had a very candid conversation. These men had placed their hope in a man named Jesus, and all of a sudden their hope was gone. And I'm asking you, where have you placed your hope this morning? Because see, here's the, here's the challenge for, for us in our sinful state. We place our hope in many things except for the thing that we should ultimately have our hope in, that is the risen Christ. Many times we place our hope in, in someone, a person, very much like they did. They were placing their hope in an earthly king. They thought Jesus was going to come and redeem Israel as an earthly king. They placed their hope there. We have placed our hope in political leaders, which is just beyond my understanding. And yet even I find myself in the flesh struggling and wanting this and being angry over that. And, and I, I say, no, I, I can rest. Yeah, I want to vote and I want to care, but... But my hope is not in the system. My hope is not in the political parties. My hope is not in a person, a president. It's not in anything like that. My hope is in Christ. 
Everything else is going to pass away. Everything. My hope is not in living forever in this flesh. Clearly, I don't want that, the way I feel right now in my age. My, my hope is not in success, in money. It's all going to be burned up. It's all going to deteriorate. My hope is not in my, my children ex, excelling at something and, and giving me some type of stature because of their success. Some of you may hard, find this hard to believe. My hope is not in my spouse as much as I love her. And I hope her hope is not in me because I will fail her, have and will. And so when we think about where we place our hope, we want to make sure that it is rightly placed. And here we're going to see that Jesus comes along, these men that had placed their hope in an earthly man. And he's going to help them rethink that. And he's going to tell them where they should go to find this hope and what they should be hopeful about and, and what, where their hope should be resting in and the results of that hope and what it is. And so here, as these two men are walking seven miles back home to Aramaeus, Jesus is probably here walking behind them and, and listening to the story. And as I said earlier when I talked about this, this account, it just is so incredibly important to just remember that, that this is two people that are not known in Scripture. This, this is here to show us something about where we place our hope. 40 verses here in the Gospel of Luke that Luke has recorded here. Only place in the Scriptures, only place in the Gospels that this is recorded. And it's, it's this unfolding of, of what happens in these two people's lives and how they respond to it. And this Jesus' interaction with them. And so let's pick it up here. In Luke 24, verses 17 through 19. First part of 19. Jesus has been following them. He's been listening in. And it says, he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them said, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem to not know who, what things have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? Now, you got to see a little comic thing here going on, right? Jesus has been crucified. He's been the thing that has happened. He knows everything that's happened. He's walking behind them. He's hearing them. And, and I, I want to I just say, what, what can we kind of see here a little bit? Jesus is always listening. Do you ever think about that? He's always listening to what we're talking about. And when we're talking about things that glorify him, that please him, he many times interjects himself into our life. He cares. And so he comes alongside these men, a men and a woman we don't know, and he says, what things are you talking about? And they're like, how can you not know? Are you, are you the only visitor here, the only stranger in Jerusalem to not know what has taken place? I mean, the city has just been rocked by this event. This is historic. The man that has claimed to be 
a king and a Messiah over the last three years, has done miracles, has raised people from the dead, and he was just last week, we were hailing him, he just got crucified. I mean, just, and he was in a tomb, and now the tomb is empty, and we don't know what happened. And you don't know anything about this? And, and so Jesus just says, well, well, tell me what things. He's wanting to know what's on their, in their heart. It's, it's one of the things that when we, when I was back here talking to someone after first service, one of my goals is always to try and find out what's in, what's in someone's heart. What is it that they desire? What is it that they want? Because in those places is where we find where our, where our love is for something, where our worship is for something. Where is it? And so he's asking them, what's in your heart? What things? Tell me. Second part of 19 through 21, he says, And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered up him up to, to be condemned to death and crucified him. He says, But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. So what's the first thing we clearly see here is that they had placed their hope in a man. Not in God, in a man. Clearly a good man, a prophet possibly, but nevertheless in a man. And so what, what's the thing that I think we should be reminded of here in this moment is that our hope is not in men, not in humanity, but in a risen Christ. Our hope is not in an individual. It's not in a pastor. It's, it's not in a spouse. It's not in a political figure. It is in a risen Christ. There, there is no hope outside of that. There's good things that can happen and, and good things that people do to one another and for one another, but our hope must be in a risen Christ. In Luke, or excuse me, Luke in Acts chapter 4, verse 33 as he's documenting the, the church and the early start of the church, he says this, he says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what Luke is saying is, in the beginning of the church, what were the apostles that were with Jesus? What were they proclaiming? What was their testimony? The primary thing in their testimony was that he was raised from the dead. That was it. That was the most important thing. Because you know what? If Jesus would have been a great man, and he was. If he would have been sinless, and he was. And he would have even been God in the flesh, and he was. And he was put to death, and he did not raise from the dead. You would still be in your sin. I would still be in my sin. We would not be here celebrating today. In fact, I would argue that the church would not even be here because the resurrection is the pivotal, foundational, fulcrum point of the whole Christian faith. Our hope is not in someone or in humanity or something. Our hope is in a risen Christ. What's the second thing we see here in these verses? It says, but we had hoped, meaning that they had lost their hope, that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, these these people clearly understood they were sitting under the law, right? They, the law of, of, of Moses, the law of God, the Ten Commandments. They knew they were sinful. They knew that they had done wrong and that God had judged them over and over and over. They could remember their forefathers leaving Egypt and their disobedience. It's all throughout Scripture how they turned away and worshipped false gods and they were put under bondage to the Assyrians 
and to the Babylonians. And they're wanting to be redeemed. In the scriptures, they know it teaches of, of someone to come, that God is somehow going to redeem them. A Messiah is going to somehow come, and they thought it was going to be an earthly man. It's what they understood. And so what do we see here? Without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. That's, that's really what, what this whole historical account here is with, with these men. They're looking for something and having hope for something, and it's now eluded them. And Jesus is coming along and basically say, you're right, you have no hope except for in the resurrected Christ, and I am he. Right? And he's going to restore their hope, and we're going to see how glorious that looks here in a minute. But without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. And that's why I said earlier, and I know um, Don Wolf, one of our elders, when he prayed before service, mentioned that we should celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. And we do. By the teaching of the word, by the, by the worship that we have, by the fellowship that we have, by encouraging one another, we are obviously always celebrating the resurrection because our faith hinges on it. The Apostle Paul puts it, this, put it, puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 through 17. Here he's talking to the, the pharisaical leaders and the, the Sadducees, and some believe in the resurrection, some believe there's not going to be a resurrection. The Sadducees do not believe there'll be a resurrection at all of the body. And this is what he says. This is kind of a tongue twister. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even to be found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. <laughs> so what is Paul saying here? If Christ has not been raised from the dead, what I'm doing right now is in vain. All my preparation, everything that Pastor Brian did on Friday night, everything that I will say from the scripture this morning, if Christ is not raised, it's in vain. And what does that mean? It also means that your faith is in vain. It means that your attendance here and your time and your worship is in vain. Because there's, why? Because you're still in your sin. And, and what is to worship, what is to rejoice in if we're still in sin and under condemnation of God's righteous judgment? There is nothing to worship. There is nothing to celebrate. And so Paul is just merely reminding the spiritual leaders of that time, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Here in the Gospel of Luke, moving on in their journey here, these people tell Jesus that, yeah, when, when we were in Jerusalem and, and, and this morning, some women actually went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. It's been three days, but now the tomb is empty and we don't know what happened. And, and they even said that they saw a vision of angels. And they went back and they told the apostles. And, and then the apostles, actually Peter and John, they went to the tomb as well, but they did not see either. Jesus was not there. And so they're, they're questioning and, and and they don't believe the ladies. They don't believe them. And, and unfortunately, ladies in that time period, no one trusted a woman's word. She could not testify in court. She was, her word didn't mean anything. But obviously, Peter and, Jane, or Peter and John understood, and they, they loved these ladies. And so they went to look, and the tomb was empty. They both looked in, and 
Jesus is not there. And so you can see that obviously these two individuals, these disciples left after that. They were there for that moment, but right after that they leave. They're thinking, okay, the body's gone. We don't know what happened to it. We're going home. It's over. We've lost our hope. We pick it up then in Luke chapter 24, verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? Now, when he says, was it not necessary for the Christ, he's saying, well, didn't the the scriptures kind of say that the Messiah that's predicted in the Old Testament, what did it say, guys? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all that the scriptures and the things concerning himself. So what, he's, what the scripture is saying here is what, what Luke is recording is, is that Jesus now is saying, look, let, let me show you what this says. He's walking with them, they're talking, and he's now revealing the scriptures to them. Why? So they can see the truth. So they can find hope. So they can see that it's going to make sense of, of what's happened here. Because it's not making sense to them. That Jesus would be crucified and beaten. It's not making sense that a week ago we were, he were hailing him as king and now he's dead. And so he goes to the scriptures. Don't miss this. Jesus himself takes them to the scripture to show them who he is. Now, he's not saying, look at me. He's saying, this is the Messiah. See what was said here? This is what we should expect. So that begs the question. Are you ready and capable when someone is walking with you and they have questions and they have no hope, are you able to take them to the scripture and to show them that these things must have had to happen and why they had to happen? Can you do that? Jesus has shown us an example of why that's important. He doesn't say, well, just tell them it's me. He doesn't say, look, this is all you need to know. I'm it. He takes them to the evidence that God has laid down in his plan over thousands of years and put it there so that we can see and feel it and touch it and realize it is real, it's historical, and we can count on it. This is not a fairy tale. Jesus is pointing them to the text. And I want to make sure that you can take people there. You don't need to be a scholar. You just need to read and study your Bible. And if you do that and you underline some things, you look at my Bible, I got stuff underlined, I got notes everywhere, and I don't know it from cover to cover. Obviously, there's things that are a mystery to me, but there are certain texts that I could take you to this morning in the Old Testament and point to you and say, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Doesn't these things point to Jesus? If you're not there, you, you need to work at that. We'll help you. You need to work at that. And so they get to... They're home. They, they've been walking seven miles. Jesus has been talking to them. That's a long walk, long time to be able to unveil the scriptures to someone. And so they get to their home, and, and Jesus is acting like now he's just going to continue going. And, and they, really the text here means they've kind of, they almost accost him. They grab him and say, no, you can't leave. You, you need to stay with us. And, and it doesn't say exactly why, but I think one of the reasons why is their hearts are on fire. They, they've, been, they've been so enlightened by what he's been teaching them. They don't want him to leave. They want him to come in and sit and and eat with them and partake of a meal with them and continue to to share the scriptures with them. Their hearts are on fire for this, and we see this here in just a few minutes when they look back. And so then he says he breaks bread with them. And now 
Is this literally that they get a loaf of bread and they're breaking some bread? Or is this meaning they're having a meal together? We don't know, but clearly bread was at every meal. And clearly you broke it and you gave it to someone. And, and so I believe that's probably literally maybe what is happening here is they're having a meal, maybe some soup or something. And he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread and gives it to them, they see him. God had not allowed them to recognize who he was at this point. Obviously, he's not all bloody and beaten, so in his glorified, he's, he's not there. God has allowed him to retain the scars and certain things for the purposes of being uh, identified to certain people, but he's not all bloody and beaten. They can't see him. And so when he breaks the bread and he gives it to them, they see him. And immediately, Jesus is gone. Just like that. Why? I don't know. I think the point was is to bring hope to them to get them to see the truth of Scripture. He had more people that he wanted to show. Now remember, he's in the flesh. Even though he's in a glorified body, he's only in one place at one time. So he can't like be here and also be there. And so he has to leave because he has other people that he's going to reveal himself to. And we're going to see it. We see it throughout the Gospels. He's in other places in different times and meeting with different people and showing himself and sharing who he is. And so what do you think they do after they realize who he is? They finish their meal and take a nap. No, that's not what they do. Right? That's what most of us would do, right? Oh, that's cool. I'm glad, glad you're, you know, Jesus, I'm going to take a nap now. No. They've just walked seven miles. And they go and they head back to Jerusalem another seven miles. Why? Because they're so, so excited to tell people that he's risen. That they will walk another seven miles. And I have many things that are going through my head right now. Like some of us won't get up and drive five minutes to come to church to share and encourage someone in Christ. These two people were on fire for the Lord. They were willing to walk seven miles. Many people, if you read much international missions, and there are people that walk miles and days to get to a place sometimes where someone is teaching and preaching the word of God. People hide in secret to sit and sit under the teaching of the word of God and have scripture explained to them. And yet we are apathetic, in, and I am too, I am guilty. And yet we are guilty. And so as we see what 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 this hope should do to us, when we have hope, it should drive us to the Lord. It should drive us to share. It's this thing that is when we have this incredible truth, why would we hold it? Why would we? Scripture talks about all the time in the New Testament, the parables. Why? Who would put a, a, a basket over a candle? It's just a simple thing. Like your light should shine and not cover it up. If, if you have this beautiful thing in a field and you sell everything you have to be able to buy the field so that you can have the most precious thing. It's always about this extravagance that believers should have for Christ. And yet many in the Western church take Jesus as just a Sunday thing. Something that they can check a box at and say, yeah, I went there. I, I, I believe that. No, no love, no passion, no, no sacrifice, no willing to sell everything you have to, to get something. No desire to make sure that your neighbor knows even the person sometimes sitting next to you at church, when was the last time you actually asked someone if they understood the gospel and if you could share it with them? 
And yet we say we love Jesus. And he's our hope. I'm going to have eternity. I just don't want anybody else to know. I want to go there all by myself. These two are willing to walk seven miles to share the truth about what happened. And so they get back there and they find the apostles and they're in their home or wherever they were in the room with them and they were sharing what had happened and what happens? Jesus appears. I think it's really John chapter 20 when he walks through the door in his glorified body. The door is obviously closed and so they're, they're pretty freaked out about now. We pick it up in verse 36 through 38. It says, they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, why would he say that? Well, because I'm sure they're freaking out right now, right? They are, they're not understanding what's happening. Jesus is standing before all of them now. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? <laughs> and why do doubts arise in your hearts? There's more of that comedic humor, I think, that Jesus maybe have here. I don't know. Like, why are you troubled? Well, I don't know. You were just dead, and now you're alive, and you're standing here, and you walk through the door. Tell me why I'm troubled, right? Tell me why I'm frightened, would you? I mean, I will tell you that there are much, much, much less significant spiritual things that have happened that I think God has worked in my life that I get troubled and freaked out about just, just because it's amazing, right? And I, I tremble almost sometimes when I see the reality of who Jesus is and, and what he's doing in front of me in someone's life or in my life. But then, he, you know, he says this, peace be with you. What is, what is he trying to explain to them, I think, here? What he's trying to make real here? He's saying this, look, I know you have trouble. Look, in a congregation our size, we have tons of, of, of heartache and pain and, and trouble in our lives. We've lost significant loved ones, sometimes to very tragic events. We've lost loved ones to health issues. COVID was obviously devastating we have issues in our marriages, in our children, in our relationships. We have trouble. But what Jesus is saying is, this is, why are you troubled? Have peace. Okay, but I'm troubled. No, he says, I know, and, and you're, those are real, but you can have peace if you're in me. If you, if you trust me and you believe in me, trust me, I'll be with you through all of these things. Be at peace. Why do you doubt? That's what he's saying. Why are, you, why are you doubting? Why do these doubts arise in your heart? Be at peace. I don't know, because I am telling people that God exists forever. He's created all things out of nothing. He became a man, walked the earth some 2,000 years ago, lived sinlessly, died on a cross, raised from the dead three days later, and I'm telling you that if you put your trust and hope in him, you can live eternally forever, and someday you'll have a glorified body and be live on a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, I have some doubts sometimes when I say that. And then I go back to the scripture. And I study. And I look at history. And I know that it's all true. There is no other truth that compares to it. There's no other, there's no other thing that even rises to a, something a close second to even be considered. I've looked at other faiths. I, I was talking to someone after first service and and, and I'm just going to be very straight. Someone's, this person said, so, so 
Pastor, are you saying that if there's a, a Muslim and they don't believe that when they die, I said, yeah, they're not going to spend eternity with God. Well, what about a, they're not going to spend eternity with God. Well, that's not, I said, I know, you're telling me right now that that's not fair. I said, God has made a way. He has died. If, 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 if everybody gets to go to heaven, then why did Jesus have to be beaten and die? I mean, that's really the, at the crux of it. Why did he have to suffer? Is God just making him suffer for the, for the sheer pleasure of seeing it happen? No, God is doing it because he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Christ. No one. Not, not Muslims, not Hindus. And it doesn't mean I don't love those people. And that's why we should go and tell. That's why we should tell because we know the truth is that not everyone will. And so we need to make sure that we share the gospel with people lovingly, urgently. And we can do it and still have a peace about us. So what's the point of the text there? I believe the resurrection of Christ brings peace and security for believers. Don't miss that. The resurrection of Christ brings peace and security for believers. It first brings peace in our heart because we now are at peace with God. What do I mean by that? Because as sinners, we are not at peace with God because we are under a just wrath of God, a just judgment for our sin. And when we are in Christ, we have a peace with God because Christ has made peace by dying for us in our place. And so we have a peace. We are not now an enemy of God, but Scripture says we are a friend. We are a saint, a believer, hidden in Christ, covered by the death and resurrection of Christ in his work. And we have security of that truth. No one can take us from his hand, Scripture says. Moving on here in 39 through 43. Jesus says, see my hands and my feet? He's just trying to communicate that I'm real. I'm not a spirit. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you something here to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish. And he took it and he ate it before them. What is he doing? He's saying, look, I'll show you. See my hands, see my feet. I'm the one. Give me a piece of fish. I'll eat it. I'll, I'll do it right here in front of you, right? Think of the humanity he's trying to express to these people. He's saying, look, I am in the flesh. I am truly flesh, truly man, and truly God. I am both. Give me some fish and I will eat. And he takes it and he eats. He's, he's coming alongside them very graciously and very lovingly trying to say, guys, this is who I am. I am here. You can be at peace. I've risen. Do you have that type of peace in your life? When, when things in your world are going crazy or when you read the news or when you listen to the news and, and your, your mind and your heart start to spiral, I know mine does, I have to consciously go back to the, the truth of Scripture and say, you know what? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, right? Jesus has overcome it. He's overcome death. He's defeated the, the most heinous enemy. And we can be at peace now because of that. But here he's reminding them 
that he's risen, that he's in the flesh, that he's defeated death. And so what's the, what's the thing, I think, the takeaway from the text here is that the resurrection validates Jesus' victory over death, and it secures the believer's future physical resurrection. By showing himself to them, the primary thing, the, the elephant in the room is, is that I'm not dead anymore. I've defeated it. Death has no hold on me. I, I, I've, I've del- the Father has delivered me. He's raised me from the dead. I'm, I'm sinless. He has no, the, the, the Satan has no hold on me. I'm, I'm here. That, that provides such security because as the Messiah, as the one that we think is going to ultimately redeem us, it has to be someone that can conquer death. And he demonstrates that. But I think the other very important thing that we need to remember and take away from this, he's also showing them what it looks like that they will have someday glorified bodies if they are in Christ. And that they will eat. And that they are tangible. That we'll be able to touch us. We'll have, we don't understand all that, but we'll have glorified bodies in the end. And we will live on a new heaven and a new earth as the saints worshiping our king and our God. He goes on there in verse 44 through 47. And he said to them, these are my words that I had spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So what is he explaining here? He's, he's saying, look, go back and search the text. Search the scriptures. It's clear of who I am. So where would he take them? There's so many places he could take them. But I just want to, I think one day, and I think I said this a couple weeks ago, when, when we stand before God someday, and I believe as a believer, as a non-believer, we will clearly see that we will be without excuse because it will be so clear in all of creation. Scripture says what? The heavens declare the glory of God. Romans talks about even nature shows that we are without, without defense. Like, we, we're without excuse. It's clear. Maybe he takes them to Genesis and it says, look at the first animal that was killed. That's a picture of Christ. He covers our sin. God made coats of skin. He kills an animal. That's a picture of Christ. Maybe it's the, the ark, the Noah's ark, that God built this thing and, and he sheltered people in it. He saved them from the wrath that was to come of judgment of sin. That's a picture of Jesus. Maybe someone should have looked there and said, oh yeah, that's a picture. Maybe it's when Moses stands before God and, and intervenes he says, don't kill them, Father, even though they've disobeyed when they were out in, the, the, out in the wilderness at Mount Sinai because that's a picture of Christ intervening for us and, and petitioning God on our behalf. Maybe it's the, the tabernacle and, and the whole holy of holies and, and the sacrificial system that we went through in Hebrews. It's a picture of Christ and the sacrificial lamb. Can you imagine all the places that Jesus could have taken them and said, don't you see it? Don't you see it? And we look back at it, I think, sometimes and say, oh, well, we see it. Well, we see it. I would have saw it. No, you wouldn't have seen it. And I would argue that many of us don't see it today. In fact, I would say that if you really are honest with yourself, there was a day that you did not see it. There was a day that I did not see it. 
until one day God let me see it. And it changed my life. I think you need to pray that God will allow you to see the truth of Scripture. I think that before that, though, you need to be committed to search the Scripture to see Him. To read, to study, to look and to seek after Him. And it shows that we will have a physical resurrection someday. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, here it is, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, in what? In accordance with the Scriptures. Should we know the Scriptures? Yes. Should we study the Scriptures? Yes. They are precious to our, our understanding of who God is. It is precious to hold us in this understanding of our salvation. Our security comes from the Scriptures. Jesus, Paul, everybody's pointing us back to the Scriptures that God has laid out before us. In the book of Acts, we see that the Bereans, Paul is preaching them the gospel and he's telling them about the risen Christ. And what does he say about them? He says, they went and they searched the Scriptures so that they know what I said was so. If any pastor, if any religious person tells you anything, you go and search the Scriptures to see that it is so. False teaching is prevalent in our culture today. Why? Because we don't know the Scriptures. Someone can tell us things and we just believe it. Because, well, they, you know, they have that position. They're a pastor. They're a, a reverend or whatever. They're a priest. I believe it. No, you go and search the Scripture. Clearly, I am flawed. Clearly, I make mistakes. As I joke first service, and many of you have pointed them out to me. And, and I'm very gracious. I'm very thankful for that. I have great conversations with men in my life about theology and about what I think about things and how I see the scripture. And, and I'm many times counseled and, and, and straightened out on certain things of the text. I remember very early in my walk with Christ, I believed in, in what's called theistic evolution. That I thought science was so clear that evolution was true, and, and so I was trying to merge science and, and the Scripture together, and so I thought, well, maybe God used, you know, millions of years to, to evolution, and then we got man, and I remember a, a pastor coming alongside me and, and spending some time with me and said, Raleigh, that's not true, and he began to show me the Scriptures, and, and I moved away from that false teaching and that false belief that really invades so many people today, but where did he take me? to the scripture. So what's the point here? The scripture clearly states the plan and purpose of Jesus' death and resurrection. One of the things here Jesus was trying to say is, is, look guys, my death and resurrection is all through scripture. It's everywhere. And we have the benefit of having the New Testament. We have both before the cross and after the cross. We can see it all and yet we still have disbelief. We still have hard hearts and, and calloused eyes, and we won't see it. And why? Because we don't want to see it. Sometimes it's because, well, Scripture clearly says the God of this world has blinded us to the light of the gospel, and unless God opens our eyes, we cannot see it. But to help you see it, I want to take you to two passages in the Old Testament. One I've used frequently, um, 
But the first one is found in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 5 through 7. Here, Isaiah was a prophet um, some 700 and so years, 750 years before Jesus. So clearly, no one knew Isaiah, you know, Isaiah personally. Now, the apostles no, didn't know anyone, right? They were talking hundreds and hundreds of years. And here's what Isaiah says in chapter 50, verse 5 through 7. Here, I believe he's speaking of the future Christ. The Lord God had opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards. Now, you should study that, but I believe what that's trying to say here is, is that, that the Father had made it clear to Jesus what was to be done. And Jesus is saying, my Father opened my ear, I knew what I needed to do, and I did not turn away from it. Because you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, there was this conversation that Jesus has, and he says, not my will, be your done. But I, I will, I would like to, my flesh would like to. And then he goes on here. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. What is Jesus, what is, what is Isaiah saying here, I think, about Christ? Is that he will willingly suffer. He willingly gives his back and, and his face to be spit upon. But he will not be put to shame. And I think what he's referring to here is because he knows his father is going to raise him from the dead. And he's not going to be disgraced. It is not going to end in disgrace. It's not going to end with his naked body hanging on a tree, on a cross, and ending that way. There's going to be a glorious ending. And Jesus is saying, I will not be disgraced. I will set my face like flint towards this. Because I trust my Father. Just three chapters later, I'm just going to read a segment of this. We, we read this almost every Easter. Isaiah 53, verse five, or verses 3 through 5. Here, I would encourage you to read the whole thing. It's just so beautiful. I think it's 12 verses. Pick it up in 3. It says, he was despised. This is talking about Christ now. 700 and some years before he comes. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Okay, if that's not talking about Jesus, would somebody please come tell me who that's talking about? Because and if you read the rest of it, that's irrefutable. In fact, so much so that many of the Jews remove that from their Bible. They don't want to read Isaiah. Even though it's part of their text, they don't want to understand it. In fact, many Messianic Jews, people that have come to know Christ, their main form of, of witnessing to other Jewish people is to go and share Isaiah, that passage, with them. Because they don't know what... That, they'll tell you. That, they, he doesn't tell them it's Isaiah. They say, well, that's the Messiah. That's the Messiah. And he says, yes, it is. And Yeshua was the one. 
And this is how he dies, right? He was the one. He points them to them. And so what do we see here? Is that Scripture clearly states that Jesus is the Messiah and that his crucifixion and resurrection were part of God's purpose and plan. All right, the end there of, of 46 and 47, he says, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's saying this is what the Bible teaches. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So here he's saying, look, not only did this happen, but because this has happened, and that what now needs to take place is that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all people, that Christ has risen from the dead, should now be proclaimed. And so I would ask you, if you believe this is true, if you're, if you're overwhelmed by the the truth of Scripture, and you've, you've trusted in Christ, and you find yourself in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, why would we not proclaim that? And I know that's not always easy. But if you have the gift that could help someone have eternal life, the Scriptures, why wouldn't we share it? And so what's the last point I want to make with you here? is that Jesus commands us to share the hope we have in the risen Christ. Jesus commands us to share the hope we have in the risen Christ. Actually, I want to share one more with you. If you close out here in verse 52 and 53, get to the end, Jesus is, is, is ascending here. He's going back to be with his Father. Here it's at the end of the Gospel of Luke, the very end. He's revealed himself to all of them. They're there. He's ascending. He's leaving. You would think they would be sad at some level, but what does it say? And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple blessing God. Once you understand the truth of the gospel, once you have been born again of the Spirit, and you, you have a joy that is unspeakable at this point, as, as Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. And Nicodemus now is, is born again, we hope, in, in some place here in the, in the New Testament. We think that he probably did. But as the believers clearly hear, they're born again. They can see the truth. Jesus is leaving, and they go back to the temple, and it says they continually were in the temple blessing God. And so what I want to tell people is, is that if that is true for you, if, if you've experienced that type of transformation you should want to be among the believers. You should desire to be in the church, believing and worshiping and singing and sitting under the teaching of his word and encouraging one another. That Jesus created the church for his purposes, but for our good. Can you be a believer and not be in the church? Yes, you can, but I don't know why you would. It would seem totally opposite of what I think our response should be. Last point, believing and trusting in the risen Christ produces a heart of worship. Believing and trusting in. Putting your trust in him. Putting your trust that he was sinless. Putting your trust that he was raised from the dead, that he died and raised from the dead, that he is the Messiah. We trust that. We will follow after him. We will put our, our efforts and our, our, our worship will be for him. 
So it's not enough to just have intellectual belief and say, no, I believe who Jesus was. It is, are you trusting in him? Are you willing to, to change your life? Are you willing to lay down your life and pick up your cross and follow after him? Are you willing to deny yourself? All through scripture, it talks about that, will you deny yourself? Follow after me. It does not mean that I can come to Christ, have all the benefits, and then go live a life all that I want. That is not worship. That is not, that is not obedience to Christ. That is not a transformed life. And so I would ask you this question, what does worship look like? What does it look like? Well, it w- looks like obedience. Scripture says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, we can't be perfect at that. That's why he died. But the first step of obedience, when we come to Christ, the first act of worship, I believe, is Baptism acknowledging that you believe, acknowledging that you believe these things to be true, and you're stepping out and you're, you're stating that to the church, to the body of Christ, to the believers, and saying, I believe, I am not ashamed of this, I am willing to be obedient in this act of baptism, because the scriptures tell us that once we become believers, we should be baptized. And so, if that's what baptism looks like, I want to show you what it looks like here in our church family. I'm Tina Good, and this is my story. Growing up, my life around Christ was a little bit of church, a little bit of learning. Uh, Grew up many years not with a consistent, faithful church going, Uh, so it left me a little with open gaps and not sure how I believed. Uh, so I, I didn't grow with a close relationship with God until I was older. My exposure young to Christ led me to lean back when I had hard times and early in college, learning to become an adult and things like that, making mistakes, you have hard times. So I would lean back there, but never comfortable and never felt like I knew enough to be good at being a Christian. So I kept space between me and the Lord. As I became more curious, I started looking to church more to find out more about the Bible, more about Jesus, more about relationships, and I started relying on that much more heavily. Um, And I would say truly transitional for me, trusted in him all my life, but probably four and a half years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer, I had a real reason to search and know how close I already was. My true surrender of my life to Christ was looking back at who was faithfully there for me, and it was Jesus. Um, I had learned more, and I had learned all those bits and pieces through the years that I decided they gave me peace. So about four and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I truly started to evaluate my relationship with Christ. and. I decided then that I was who he wanted. He, he wants the imperfect people, and he wants us to draw clo- closer to him and be a part and surrender our life to him. And that's when I started to make the transition. So my life now with Christ, um, he's just a solid part of my life. Uh, he's not something I have to think about. He It naturally happens um, when I feel 
lost, it doesn't take me only seconds to realize I know where I'm found and to turn back and look for him. Um, it gives me support in everything I do and everything that I am to know that I have him right there with me and I do not have to struggle to control anything in my life because it's really his. I want to be baptized because as we've talked about it in different sermons and Brian and Wally have, Raleigh have brought it to us, um, it's a step I need to take. I spent too many years thinking I needed to be perfect and I'm not going to be perfect. And now I'm at a place where I want to show others that that's who I am and that's okay with me. I have that relationship and I want to profess my love for him. Good morning. It is, what a way to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, isn't it? To be able to, uh, to step forward in faith and to be baptized. So it is great to be able to celebrate today. This is Tina. Everybody say hi, Tina. And uh, we get the opportunity to uh, celebrate as a church body today. And now, if you got the, as you watched her testimony, there was so many great things in her testimony, and uh, and every person's journey is different. So when we see Tina and how she kind of grew up, she talked about how she was kind of uh, in and out of church, but then as she she says that she um, always trusted in Christ, so she always knew about Christ. But it wasn't until much later that she actually uh, surrendered her life. And what, did that, and what did that look like? She said that, you know, she looked back and she knew that Jesus was always there. And I think that was such an important thing for her to say. And I think also when we look at uh, Tina's testimony, we see that there was suffering, right? That she, she was diagnosed with cancer. And that is one of those things that when, when that happens, you stop and evaluate, like, what is going on? And, and that is when, you know, and I believe that God uses those kind of circumstances in our lives to what? To draw us back to him and to help us to focus on what's important. Um, as she continued to evaluate her relationship with Jesus and knew that he was, he was always there, that was when she surrendered her life. And that was a beautiful thing. And you just see her hope, where her hope is placed now. Because she says, uh, you know, I just rely on him and that I, I can turn around and I know that he is there and he is there with me. So it is just a beautiful thing. Um, so as we are uh, baptizing today, now we know that baptism doesn't save you. That is not what saves you. This is a symbolic thing that we are doing when we, just like the resurrection today that we are celebrating, when Tina goes under the water and comes back up, it is representing that she is dying with Christ and that she is a new creation. And, and she does that today to celebrate with her church family and with visitors and family here that is, that is here today. And what a beautiful way to celebrate. So, um, so saying all that, Tina, are you ready? Tina, my sister, have you surrendered your life and are you a new creation in Christ? Yes, I am. All right. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but two baptisms. Let's take a look at Bethany's testimony now. My name is Bethany Good, and this is my story.
I've come to the Ridge pretty much my whole life, um, on and off. It's been not really consistent until this past year. A lot of people compare life without Christ to like a hole in your heart. And I haven't really meshed with that very well. Like I've not really connected with that scenario. I kind of think of it as like a broken heart knowing what fixes it but it's like coming to terms with what you have to do to fix it I think because coming here my whole life I've kind of known God and I've known Jesus and what he's done for me and I've always like known that I've accepted that like but then it's like okay come here on Sunday but then acknowledge it and then go live your life however you want and so I feel like in high school it's kind of hard to realize that that's not how you should be living because everybody else is living that way, or at least everybody that you surround yourself with. So figuring out that that's not how you should be living was kind of hard. I feel like overall I've had a general understanding of who Christ was just because since I've been young, I've been coming to church with my mom. But truly understanding what he is or who he is and what he's done for me was a whole different ball game, because... I just remember, like, coming to church and knowing. But, like, countless times here, you guys are like, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. I'm like, like, nobody wants to hear that. And you hear it, but, like, it's, like, in one ear and out the other. Like, you don't truly understand. And I think that's all God's working to make you understand because there's no way that my, like, you hear the same thing. And it's like one day you don't get it, and then the next day you're like, ah, oh, like that's so important to understand. Coming to know him was really random. Like I came to church one day and Raleigh did his regular announcements, like this is what's happening, this is who to pray for, this is fill out your connection card, come see me in the corner. And then I was like, oh. And it was kind of odd because I'd been coming here for so long, but I was just like, I should fill out my connection card. And then the little boxes, I was like, I don't know what to check. And so I just like kind of doodled on there. And then I remember Raleigh texting me and then saying that I could contact you or Desiree, Brian or Desiree. And so I was like, I'd like to talk to Desiree. So then I went to your guys' front porch and we talked for a while about like where I was because I hadn't really been around for you stuff. So I hadn't really talked to Desiree in a while. Then we started... Um, meeting weekly and reading through Ephesians and that was life changing I think it was like Ephesians 2 8 through 10 I think that it's like you are only saved through the grace of God through faith and it's like none of your works or none of your what you do good or bad actions determine that it's all him and what he loves you no matter what and I think that was very because nobody tells you that what you do determines if you're saved, but you kind of enact that in your own brain. Like, oh, I've done so many lies. I've done, like, just list off all the things you've done wrong that you just automatically determine, like, oh, he doesn't want me. Like, and through Bible study, we read through it, and she was like, do you know what this means? And I was like, yeah. And then when you go home and you read it again and you really study it, you're like, like, I know why she asked me if I know what this means, because it's, like, huge, and I didn't even get it then, but then I think it was, like, the next or the next two Sundays, 
That was my first Sunday service ever alone. And I, I didn't want to come. I was like, I can't come sit by myself. But I came, and I just remember going home and being like, this is it. Like, he loves me. Like, it's solid ground. Like, this is what I need. I know what he's done. I believe it. Like, this is it. And then so I remember just, like, praying and being like, Lord, like, you're it. And I'm down for it. So, and I just remember praying, like, your will, your way. Like, just send me off wherever. Like, do whatever you want because this is it. And so I think a lot of things kind of added up to it, but it wasn't, like, one moment where, like, I was like, life changed. It was definitely a process, but that's kind of how it added up. Life now with Christ definitely has a bigger purpose in mind than what I had planned, which is totally okay, and I'm so for it. I think a big driving question in all of it was finding your purpose. And so figuring out what that was has been a big life-changing for with Christ now is with that it's all for the glory of him. And so no matter, like, who you are, what you've done, or no matter, he loves you anyway, and this is his purpose, and it's all for the glory of him. And I think that's been so life-changing to come to terms with and just to rest in and just know that that is it and that is so worth it. And I think life now although still crazy and stressed and teenage years are nuts, but just the comfort in that I think has been life-changing and the fact that before it was all stress and anxiety and not knowing where and what and the who and why. And like now all the same stuff is there, but it's not as heavy, you know? And just finding the resting place and just knowing that like ultimately what God has started, he will finish, and just being okay with that, and knowing that it's all for him, and that he's got your back is pretty much it. It's what you rest in, and it's what gives you peace. I want to be baptized because I think I've really realized that now my heart is on fire for the Lord, and there's no better way of showing that, and demonstrating that, and letting everybody know Because I've always had this anxiety. Like, I've thought about being baptized before, but I don't think I truly had an understanding just because I was so nervous. Like, what would people think? What do I wear? What do I say? Who do I have in there? Like, it was just such, like, an anxiety that, like, I don't know, I don't know. But then now it's like, why not? Like, you have all the pieces there, and it's just demonstrating it like the work is already done you just have to show it to everybody and I think that that's the easiest part is just be like hey I love him he loves me and this is it and just showing everybody and I think that's the best part what an amazing testimony and so real in what Bethany is saying everybody say hi Bethany <laughs> so as we have seen, she there was so much in her testimony. We could talk like 15 minutes on everything that she explained through there. She did such a, an incredible job. One of the first things that she's going through there is she, she acknowledges that she was coming to church, right? And she said that Raleigh and I were like, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. <laughs> and she was like, uh-uh. Like, I'm not hearing that. 
And, uh, but what happened? And just like we have learned about on the disciples on the road to Emmaus, like at one point, then all of a sudden it was like, like I understand. And uh, we see this, that she stepped forward in faith when she came, and she came to church by herself. And then she decided to reach out to us and started meeting with uh, my wife, Desiree. And at that point, this, there was this discipleship that started happening and that she started to learn. And as she started to, to dive into Ephesians, and the, Ephesians 2.8, she even referenced that, is, uh, for grace you have been saved by faith. It is, it is a gift. It's not by works. And she said that's what she, she went home and she's like, yeah, I understand it. And then she got home and she's like, oh, I really understand it. Like that's when it started to really click and she really started to understand as she grew in her faith. So, and then taking that step forward and then, you know, looking at what baptism is, you know, as we've talked about before, but then the anxiety that comes with that, you know, who, how do I go about that? Am I going to be perfect enough? No, she's like, nope, it's, I'm, I'm ready. It's all been done. He's done it. Now, the, the hardest part's been done. Now's the easy part. I get to come forward and I get to celebrate with everyone here. So, man, that is just so great. And one of the things she said, one of my favorite things she said was, when she was talking about, you know, she's, she's like, uh, she's like, your will, your way. Father, it's your will, your way. And, and it, it's the Lord, and I'm down with it. You know, what an incredible thing to say. So much good in that testimony. So I'm so proud of Bethany. We've had the opportunity to get to know her through youth ministry over these past years. Uh, so, but today we get to celebrate together as a church family. So. For all that, are you ready? Yep. <laughs> all right. So, Bethany Good, my sister in Christ, have you surrendered your life to Jesus and are you a new creation? Yes. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to, as you see them, to always, you know, uh, encourage them as new believers, as they, as, as they have stepped forward and done this, that they are part of the church body. And now I will turn it back over to Robin. Wow, that's a way to end a, an Easter service. Um, I'll just leave you with what Brian said and what ultimately, as I said, first service, because we showed the videos to first service, it was the gospel according to Bethany. And... Um, what a great job she did at sharing that. But your will, your way, really comes down to that, doesn't it? Are you willing to give up your will for his? Are you willing to give up your way for his? That's the question. And as believers, we come and die. We come and die to our way. We come and die to our will. And that's something that we do every day as believers. Because every day my flesh wants what it wants, and I have to come and say, Lord, what is it that you want? Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's not clear, and so I seek counsel. I seek scripture, and sometimes I make bad decisions, and we all do. But when I see it clearly, I die to what I want if I know what the Lord wants is different. And I, I think that's just what I want to leave you with this morning. And so today, as you go from this place, um, once again, what did, what did, you know, what did Desiree do when, you know, Bethany came? She took her to Scripture. She showed what the Lord says in Scripture. If someone's coming and asking questions, look, we all think we're great theologians sometimes, but we just need to take people to Scripture. 
We need to let Scripture speak for itself. Um, it can say what we, we can't say. It says it clearly. It is living and active. It cuts to the heart of things. Uh, we take to their people in love and, and show his will for them and what his desire and his love for them. And we trust that, that his word will not return void in their heart. And clearly in this instance uh, with Tina and Bethany, it did not return void. It, it produced fruit. So we want to continue to pray for them as they uh, have stepped out in faith and continue their journey. Uh, and so once again, as you leave here today, I would encourage you, if you um, have not trusted in Christ, that you, you ask God to reveal the truth to you. If that's your prayer. God, show me who you are. Show me, help me to believe. Save me from my sin. Save me. Because you can't save yourself. He has to save you. And so your prayer is, show me, save me, and I will follow you and trust you. Your will, your way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. We praise you. We thank you for this special celebration that we have on Resurrection Sunday. But Lord, help us to remember that the resurrection needs to be front and center every every day, every week, every time we gather, because it is about what you have done through the life, the obedient life, the obedient death, the sacrificial death, and the resurrection of Christ has made it possible for people to be saved, to be found in Christ. Lord, I pray if there is people here today that do not know you, they do not have a relationship with you. They've not been born again. They've not realized the truth of the gospel, that Father, you will do something in them this morning. You will bring them from death to life and make them a new creation in Christ, and they will see for the first time who they are and who you are, and they will praise you for it, and it will be for your glory. Father, we thank you and praise you. We pray that today has brought you honor and glory in all that we've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at Have a blessed day.